Girls Your Product tells the stories of amazing women to inspire others to follow their path in the product area. This project is supported by Zalando. Hi everyone, welcome to the second episode of season three of Girls Your Product podcast. This is the third year that we are doing this uh, series. And my name is Andre Marquet and I'll be your host today. I'm the co-founder of Productized. And we'll be joined today by Mathilde Caron. She's a product manager for the, the Fashion Recommender Systems at Zalando. Grosso Product is a series of interviews with women that have been able to beat the ceiling and become success, um, successful makers, entrepreneurs, <laughs> agents of change. Um, our mission is to inspire, connect, and empower more people to get into product roles and help them consider product or tech entrepreneurship has a venue of personal and professional growth. So let me quickly introduce our guest. Mathilde joined the Zalando team um, responsible for developing machine learning solutions for recommendations as well as front-end and back-end supporting products. Mathilde, welcome. And uh, my first question is just, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? What have, you know, how come? Yeah, uh, thank you for having me and hello everyone. Um, uh, so yeah, Mathilde, um, I come from uh, a little village next to Lille in the north of France. Um, if you couldn't tell from my accent, now you know, that's French. Um, and yeah, I spent most of my youth there. Um, I was doing a lot of sports, I think, if you read the the biography that I sent, uh, I practiced gymnastics um, since I was about five and uh, until I was, I think, 16 or 17. Um, and so that was really my, my biggest focus growing up. And after that, um, I went to business school in EDEC in, in the same region, so in the north of France. Um, and yeah, after that, uh, I worked a little bit, like I, t I took a gap here in my studies and I worked in uh, KPMG and then in uh, Frischti, actually the other way around, uh, in Paris. Um, I think we're going to talk a little bit more about that. So yeah, maybe yeah. I, I won't like spend too much time talking about these two experiences. Um, but yeah, and then uh, I think we're just chatting with Andre before uh, we joined. And um, after I did this gap here, I decided to do a double degree with uh, the University of Victoria in Canada. And so that was a degree that allowed me to go in three different countries. So in Canada, in Taiwan, and then Austria. Um, that was a fantastic experience, and uh, once this was over, I was uh, on the market looking for a job, and I found this um, this job at Zalando, and so I moved to Berlin, which was a big decision for me, and yeah, the, I think I've been there now for about three, yeah, that would be three years in October. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm currently in the role of product manager for the fashion recommendations at Zalando. And yeah, that's basically the very long story of how I got there. All right. So how did you get into products? What was the, the entry point into the profession? That was still um, in France. Sorry? That was still in France, right? 
No, that was so that was in in Atalando in Berlin. Mm. Okay. Um, how did I get there? So basically, I think I I I had this very different experience. For example, I I mentioned KPMG. I mentioned Frishti, uh, Frishti is a small startup. Um, where I started, I think uh, it was. You know, three people. It was me, uh, the founder, and and the cook because we were doing uh, food production and delivery. Yeah. That was a very crowded crowded uh, market at at that time. Um, and so that was really launching the the, the website, starting operating, and uh, you know, learning from that experience and improving to kind of starting scaling, uh, which is very different from being a financial auditor in a in a massive corporation like KPMG. And so I think what was interesting is to kind of define where what I enjoyed doing and in what kind of job I I, I would enjoy for myself. Right. And one thing that if I think of my experience back in KPMG, there were some things I really loved. But one thing that was a showstopper for me was um, really when you go to work, people don't like you, so mm. you don't feel like you're serving them really it's more like something they have to it's, it's a box they have to check you're mostly annoying to them they don't see really the value that you're providing them so this you know this are content for example that you interact with um and for me that was really heartbreaking every day to go back home and go back to work and kind of you know doing my job thinking that i wasn't really helping anyone in 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 some ways especially the people that I was interacting with or the people that, that, that were actually getting us that was a right? K, kpmg kpmg yeah mm -hmm. so financial auditing so reviewing of um, you know uh, proofing financial statements mm -hmm. uh and so i think i already i was was re really driven by um helping customers in general and really like kind of finding problems that people might have and really help them solve this problem. And you know that people will be happy basically to, uh, for whatever you, you, you were building for them or you, or you were helping them with. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I moved to Zalando, I started with this rotational program. And the first part was in the markets where we're mostly focusing on, um, you know, learning about the markets. That was for the French market. So really learning about the customer, having a lot of customer insights, reviewing the PNL for for the for France, uh, for mm -hmm. Zalando. Um, so and you, I did, just to clarify this, so you got into Zalando as a, a trainee? Exactly, yeah. Um, and so my first two rotations, so, that was a so program. That, that, that for you must have been quite a humbling experience because I, I guess you already were a financial auditor at KPMG and then, you know, you had to kind of go back to square one and become an intern at a company, um, at a different I company. So what was the, the thought process that led you to accept that in your, in your own career path? Yeah, I think um, there's a little bit of, there's often this misunderstanding. I think it's like in different languages, it, it has a different um, name. So the tr the traineeship program is in general, like you could call it graduate program. In, in Sometimes it's, a, it's, for example, in France, we would say graduate program, we wouldn't say traineeship program. Mm -hmm. But it's really not the role of an intern that you have. It's really about seeing different business units in, in okay, the business wow. and then Really, the, the goal afterwards is for them to keep you and and to have like 
mostly like hopefully a managerial uh, role. So that is a program that Zalanda runs to um, better source talent to specific roles according to their own capabilities and. Uh, I think skills. yeah, it's to have like well-rounded, um, you know, people that can actually have quite a strong understanding of the of the business in different right. aspects. So like, for example, the, the first mandatory rotations for me were in commercial planning and strategy, where it was mm -hmm. customer insights, um, reviewing the PNL and make sure that we had a good PNL, uh, doing the forecasts for, mm -hmm. for, you know, how, how much products we're going to, we're, we're going to sell, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Uh, and afterwards the second rotation was for retail management. So that's where really it's mostly fashion driven. So understanding the, the, the fashion industry as a whole and how you market is and, different and from another. You were in Paris at the time, so why did you decide to go to uh, to Zalando and move to Berlin? I think I loved just the opportunity. The, the mm -hmm. graduate program was actually, I, I there was not a lot like that in, in an e-commerce. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think I found any in France. And I think, yeah, the opportunity seemed for me quite quite amazing to still like having you know um discovering a little bit more things until i set myself in one role that i felt mm -hmm. comfortable um you know but you, you, you were saying it was a, a difficult decision for you right why, why, why oh. is it yeah <laughs> in that sense yeah, um <laughs> yeah sorry um so it was a bit difficult because when i was in in, so my first year of university, I did uh, this time an internship mm -hmm. in a German company in a very small town called Osnabrück. Um, okay. that, that would be in the north of Germany, um, where nobody would speak uh, any English, forget about French. So that was a very, a very German experience. So my German was not great so uh i really had to like learn 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 but i really felt very isolated and i i felt like culturally it was really hard to connect with um people um and so i think it was one of the loneliest summer of my life okay. and so I was like okay i don't think germany is a really a fit for me i'm just gonna probably not gonna get there and you know let's just not um you know force it um yeah. and so i i found this amazing program and i was like oh i really want to do it uh but at the same time i don't know like maybe i'm gonna have the same experience i'm gonna be very like lonely alone it's gonna really make be hard to make meaningful collections mm -hmm. and i said well it's gonna be you know it's like a year and a half we'll see worst case scenario that's that's gonna be a bad time but um uh, I can always come back if I want to. And I think Berlin is completely different from uh, what I experienced before. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's a city with a lot of expats. Um, I think I, in the company, we, well, we speak English. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the, the company language. But also outside of work, I also have this big community of French people and of people a little bit of all over the world. And so... Um, so yeah. you have to, to manage different types of personalities, different cultures, different work cultures. Is that yeah. there? Uh, different nationalities for sure. I think in my team we're something like 
poof, maybe around eight different mm -hmm. nationalities. So what, uh, are, what are the biggest difficulties you find in <laughs> managing this, you know, culture um, clashes and what are the quick solutions you take in terms of conflict management, working methods, different personalities, etc. Yeah, I, th I think um, different personalities might be, on the contrary to me, a little bit more introverted and, you know, maybe not as loud as I can be. So mm -hmm. um, it really required for me to like step back a little bit and open the floor for everyone to, to express themselves if they wanted to. Um, and... Apart from that, I don't, I don't really feel like the cultural clashes is, is really it, like enormous at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. I think there's bigger clashes maybe into different uh, functions, for example, mm -hmm. in, in, you know, in the product development um, space. Um, yeah, and... You're, you're a very elastic person. Uh, so I understand you, you practice gymnastics at the high level when you yeah. were uh, younger. So do you think that gymnastic experience had an influence on your career and the decisions you've been making? Um, definitely. Well, I think it didn't influence afterwards, but um, definitely I think gymnastics in general. So I did it for 10 years and... Wow. For three years, or no, two years of that, that was in uh, in like these centers. So you go into centers and you do half of the day studying and half of the day is actually practicing sports. Wow! And that's that, like that, these that national was, centers. That, that, that is super hard. Yeah, that's that would be like around at that time it was around I think fifteen to twenty hours of sports per week. Wow! Uh, that was also I was thirteen at the time and it was away from my family. I was placed in like a, like a, yeah, foster family, I don't know if that's the right term, but, um, and there's high expectations um, towards results and it's, you, it's at the very young age. And I think this sports- yeah, not, 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 not every kid has that kind of high expectation setting, right? I'm, you know, I, I'm father of three kids and, you know, <laughs> my expectation setting on them is, is quite, quite average, I would say, but if you are um, a high performance athlete, you are really expected to deliver <laughs> on consistent terms, right? So I yeah. think that really changes your, your mindset, doesn't it? Yeah, people have like, so you have, uh, you know, trainers that are paid for the results you're going to bring in, in mm -hmm. like maybe yeah. a, a couple, like a few competitions that you're going to attend, like the national, the national um, competition, for example, is once a year, right? So. Yeah. Um, that's where you really have to show results. And I think before that, um, it's a sports that is really demanding where, you know, you try and fail so many times. Um, and it really requires to have that mental, you know, strength to pers to have this perseverance to, you know, you fail, you go back and you just redo it and you redo it a hundred times. Uh, to make sure that the day off you can make it right, and there's high stakes, you know, for that as well. Um, I think it also teaches you to push boundaries in general, right? Like uh, it's a sport that is, at the end of the day, quite dangerous. You do like you know acrobatic things, so you gotta trust yourself not to fall on your head at some point and 
kill yourself or something. Um, that never happened for sure. No, I'm still alive. <laughs> so, uh, but did you have any any kind of uh, traumatic experience? Was it that I hard think... that you? I mean, lo lots of um, my friends that went through the um, you know high performance athletic track when they were really young, they had some burnout, some kind of burnout, burnout when they were 17, 16, 18, They ended up, ended up going, especially especially you know woman that that tends to be even more pronounced they they go to the to the university and then they they kind of say you know this is not something i want in my life I'm, it's taking 20 hours per week of my time that i now want to have for something else did that happen <laughs> to you um i kind of walked out of it um well i i think so I was in these centers and I think at some point it was a bit too much, uh, for sure. So I remember it was, it was borderline, um, like mind molest, molesting. Mm. So they put you on the beam, which is a mirror, like a mirror and 30 centimeters high or something, which is quite high. And then they tell you, you're going to do this like routine thing where you do a salto, like anyways, like quite hard mm -hmm. and I could do it on the floor um, on a line right. that was fine but I was really afraid to do it on the beam and um, he he put me in there and he was like well you're gonna do, do it three times right we're gonna stay there until midnight if that's what what um, <laughs> needs to be but we're just gonna do it and I was crying my eyes out I was super scared and mm -hmm. I think at that point in time I was like okay uh, I'm, I'm not sure that, uh, you know, that was really scary. And that's where, you know, um, you got to listen to yourself also, I think, in this sport, because you got to be fearless, but the being afraid is really dangerous. That's where you're going to have, like, your, your brain is going to freeze and then you're going to fall in a very weird way. Um, and that was really hard. So at some point I decided, and I think my parents as well, because they – they weren't sure what was going on in there because they weren't um, in the same city. They, they weren't, you know, picking me up every day. And what happened is I broke my my wrist, right. and my parents were pe were picking me up every two sun uh, Saturdays, I think, or something like that. And my mom entered and she saw me because they were putting me on the beam and making me do sato with the with the cast. Right. And then she was like, okay, I That's think, enough. I think we're done. So, um, you, you're not going to do this anymore. Right. And kind of, uh, at that point of time for me, it was either, you know, I keep doing it in very high level or I stop. And so I decided to stop. And then I think what was really hard is to find, okay, what is your next dream? Right. Because that can be at the, such a young age that was really defining you. That was what you was exactly. all of your life. And so you got to kind of reconstruct yourself in a different way, I think. And so what, I, I get that what, some people burn out. What was next for you? What did you find that, you know, that gap in your life that you now have, now had gymnastics? And <laughs> what, what filled that gap? I think I, I kept doing a lot of sports. Not that one. So I did, uh, after that, I did a lot of basketball. Um, 
you know, and I kind of invest my time in, into school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really interested in entrepreneurship, this kind of things was also like, it was a good drive for me. So I think that's what has been replacing afterwards. Um, this, so all the passions, I think you, you end up finding them, but for sure there was a, there was a point of time where it was a lot of, it was difficult and it was a lot of so thinking. Did, so did that, that passion on, you know, very passionate person was, was you know, uh, on, on a job outside of work. So does your passion for analytics also see itself in your everyday life outside of work? Are you an organized person who likes to have goals for things you do, or do you kind of set it up on a different more randomized way like I do with myself. <laughs> no, I don't think I'm like super organized outside of work or anything. I think the analytics is really like working with numbers and trying to find pattern in data and in general what you can do with what you can learn through data. Right. So that's something that I really outside of work I still read a lot about it. I read about data science. Um and I also try to upskill myself to you know, advanced SQL, even like moving forward, I'm thinking about Python um, to be able to work better with data. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took an, an AI class. Um, Where? That was on the side. Um, in Udacity, it was, yeah, it was called become, yeah, become an AI product manager. That was super interesting. All right, cool. Um, and yeah, so I think that's how it shows. I, I don't think that um, yeah, it shows in being super organized or gold, a gold setter in my personal life, not so much. So we were talking before we actually uh, went live that obviously we're living very atypical times. So with this pandemic, we've all been forced to work <laughs> remotely. Um, I, I guess you're still working remotely for Zalando from home? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you have any plans to go back to the office? Uh, not yet. No, not that I'm aware of. Okay. So what do you think is the positive and negative changes that you have seen <laughs> coming in from working remotely? I think there's very on very, you know, long discussion ongoing through the advantages and the disadvantages of remote working, but um, specifically for your role, do, do you think that you have seen um, any positive things or negative things? What's your take on that? I, I think there's a lot of posit- positivity mm-hmm. for me. I'm just, I'm just speaking for myself. So um, I have way more time okay. uh, in general. So I can do more things in, in my working hours and outside I don't have to commute or anything. So I can also, you know, have, I think, practice sports much mm-hmm. easier. Did, did you have a, a, a big commuting time before? Not so much, like I would say 30 minutes, but right. still, you know, and it's all the, I, I think, um, especially if you go into a social environment, you tend to, you know, pay more attention to what you dress, to you know all these things which is also very time consuming and that's just mostly gone so it freed a lot of time for me so i think that was quite like the positive aspect of it do you think remote working is is good for for women in general because of less harassment maybe less social peer pressure or 
you know, less politics maybe? Um, I'm not sure about that. I see a lot of, a lot of women in the company struggling with having the kids at home. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't know if that's better or worse for women, but that's a good question. I think I, I didn't think so much about that, to be honest. So you have, you have more time, essentially that's, that's, that's one of the advantages, um, any negative sides to it? Well, the, the big negative side, I think for, for me is, um, you know, I think what really make product or teams in product or who build products successful mm -hmm. is really to have a strong bond, like a strong relationship, uh, you know, being able to ask questions right. at any point of time to, uh, you know, also be, build a certain trust and, I think that's something that is really hard to do when you're remote because, you know, obviously, yeah, you're going to set up coffee time. You're going to set up, you know, this, I don't even team building events or whatever, but I think a lot of this bonding is actually happening when you're evolving in the same, um, you know, public space, sort of mm -hmm. like in a, in a common space. I don't know. Like that, that can be, Exactly. Like, you know, I think the, the society tides is just happening when you hold the door to someone or, right. you know, um, you just have an informal conversation uh, about a top or about something that just happened in front of you and trying to take that time and put it in a, like in a, in a box. Yeah, it's kind of like now have fun. Not 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 create bond is not like it's a little bit. You know, it's always a bit awkward. I think you're like okay. What what kind of tools are you guys using at Zalando to keep communication flowing? Are you using Slack or any kind of real time chatting? No, mostly uh, Google Hangouts slash Meet. Um, so yeah, you're, totally you're not using any chatting tools to kind of just hey guys, I have a question. No, no Google chat. chat, right? Um, but I think that's yeah, that's that's definitely different than you know, like it's not that easy to write everything, and and um, I think it's important in product, in product, especially to ask a lot of questions because you need to bridge the gap of you know you know, the, the, the engineers have kind of the technological right, uh, expertise and you're going to have tons of questions about that. And if you, if they are not around, you know, you have to chat, but then it's not gonna, it's not as if they were just re waiting for it to, to come in, like your question to come in. Right. So maybe they're going to answer a little bit later and all of this is not very flawless, I would right. say. So are, so are you looking forward to go back to the office or not really? Right now, no, not really, time? because I think so the value of it, I think if you know the person's already, it's, it's easy to be remote. If you don't, so like when you join it, et cetera, it's really right. difficult. I think to, to understand the, the team culture, uh, you know, the, the yeah and even to to build that trust and relationship that you want to have to be really performant as a team um and so i would like to have my team around mm -hmm. um but i think at the moment the plan is not to be like that so 
it's more going to be like, okay, where can we put these different people? You're not going to be able to, maybe like you're going to have to wear a mask all the time, standing, you know, two meters from each other. Um, there won't be, I, I don't think there will be enough space for everyone. So it's definitely not going to be like the old, old time, uh, oh, we sit next to each other and look at each other's screen and, oh, what are you doing? Right. Um, and then go for coffee and, and you know, uh, I don't think that's going to be that way. So I don't really see the point of going back at the moment. The things that, um, that we have seen is that e-commerce has uh, had, had a spike during the pandemic. And, and I guess Zalando is a net beneficiary of, uh, in terms of the sales on, on, over the internet simply having um, been um, higher during the pandemic, people had no choice, right? They couldn't just go to the store. So um, are you guys growing through through this um, through this uh, phase? Are, uh, what, what's the general situation in terms of the um, e-commerce sector and Zalando specifically, as you mm. see? I think... I think so. I'm not. I'm not fully aware of the last numbers. I think the pandemic was also, you know, especially for fashion, that kind of is probably a secondary uh, concern for people that are afraid that they're not going to have a job um, next week. Mm -hmm. So obviously, I think that's going to hit the industry in general. Um, at the same time, you're right that in e-commerce we have this benefit that people had to transition to the to the online um, shopping uh, and this transition was happening very slowly and now I think it's accelerating so right now I think we, we shall see like we can ended up being big winners or big losers it's a little bit uncertain I think still well we shall see uh, in in a few months how things are evolving. But um, I think we're much better off for sure than any of the local stores or, or mostly the, you know, the, the brands are mostly offline for sure. I are, are, have a way bigger, harder time or yeah, harder time that we do. So um, one last question, because we've just uh, crossed the 30 minute line from me and we, we now will open uh, up the moment for, for questions for all those uh, that are listening to us today and thank you for coming and, and being with us. What advice would you give to people who want to become product managers? And I've seen the list of participants today. It's not just product managers. So we have people that are product managers, people that are not product managers yet, but um, what kind of advice do you have for people that want to get into product and yeah that's basically my question um i think what kind of advice so if you want to get into product i think you should first of all go, probably go for it and apply mm -hmm. uh, i read a lot of, a little bit of crazy things online so you look at product or job descriptions for product manager and it requires like eight years of experience in product management and a computer science degree and, and a lot of things like that. And mm -hmm. obviously that's a barrier, especially for women who are less represented in with its degrees. Right. So I want to say if, you know, don't, don't put the walls in front of you, just go for it. Um, you know, if they're asking for four years and you had two, they're probably 
open, especially if the experience that you had before and can be valued for, for, for a product manager role. Um, I would say, you know, when you start working in there, um, I think it's really valuable if you really start going deep into the, 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 the users of your product. So I think when I started, I, I really consciously had a plan to, you know, have an hour, an hour and a half to, um, learn about the user experience, learn about the fashion industry and really understand better how my product was placed into this little world. So I, I would say that's where your value is, is mostly is to understanding your industry and your users. So mm -hmm. place a lot of time into doing that. And last but not least, as I said, and with the remote situation, that's a bit tricky, but having a strong team and, you know, making sure that you build the relationship and the trust with, with your engineers, with your designer, if you have one, and even your analyst, if you have one, is something that really is going to pay off into the success of your, of your team and your product uh, over time, I would say. Okay. Um, yeah, and I think I had an easy way in compared maybe to other people that are just like have to apply directly for product management. So I, would, I was doing a rotation and they basically hire me afterwards. It was like a kind of a, you know, a, a trial period sort of. Yeah. Uh, but I think before that, you know, talking to a lot of people in, in, in this industry and having some mentoring for, from certain people, I mm -hmm. think was really beneficial in my case. So I would definitely recommend that as so well. So you, you had, you had uh, informal mentors in your. Exactly. Previous. Completely informal. Okay. We have actually a mentorship, like a formal mentorship uh, program at Zalando. Mm -hmm but I didn't go through that one. Um, and I had notably, yeah, I would say two mentors that, or two people that were mentoring me on different aspects. And I was really helpful. Like I was really beneficial for me. And where were these mentors coming from? How did you acquire them? How did you approach them? How did you... <laughs> I think very informally. So they were, mm -hmm. um, they were working at Zalando and they were in my network. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a small world at the end of the company. So you meet in events. Um, it happened also that, so I was a weird story, but um, he knew my boyfriend as well. Mm -hmm. So um, we also see each other, we saw each other outside of work. And I think it's kind of a relationship that started naturally. Um, and I prefer that than a force I don't know if I should say that, but I prefer that than a forced kind of matched uh, mentorship um, where I think, yeah, you, you, I don't know if you will always end up with what you wanted from it in the beginning. So I think when it starts quite naturally, it's, it's always better. All right. Very well. So um, we're opening the floor now for, for questions. Um, I see that we have some people that I know that I'm going to invite here to the conversation. First one is Pedro. Pedro, yes, we, we were having lunch yesterday and, and Pedro was, was sharing with me some of his uh, challenges, career challenges. So Pedro, if you don't mind showing up, <laughs> Um, that'll be awesome because we get to um, we get to discuss this with you as well. And one one of the 
the expressions that you use, which was put the wall in front of you, was actually actually the, the, the very same kind of similar expression that I used yesterday with, with Pedro was um, that <clears throat> if, if you have a goal, if you want to go into that direction, you should definitely try. Hi, Pedro. Welcome. Hey. I think you're still mute, but uh, yeah, you are still mute. You have to unmute yourself. I cannot unmute you. Uh, there should, if you if you scroll your <laughs> mouse cursor over your own picture, you should be able to. What about right. now? Okay, good. Yep. Perfect. Can you hear me? We can. But no, I cannot hear. This is always the. <laughs> That's a nightmare. That's tech check. So, let me just try it. Yeah, maybe without the the here, but it will work better. Better now. I saw in a, a a meme today was this bingo of working from home, and there was like, "Can you hear me? Can you hear, Can you hear me? me?" It's a classic. It's like all the classic sentences that you hear in remote calls. I can hear you now. <laughs> Oh, you're on mute. You're on mute. We can hear you. We can hear you, Pedro. Okay, we're good. We're good. Right. <laughs> Here we are. Okay, these phones are not working anymore. So, okay, very, very. Thank you, first of all, for 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 your your speech today. I got some curiosity on on one thing that you said. You said that you started learning from Udacity, and I was curious on getting to know how you started on AI. So what led you to that? How could, how could you start working on AI? Uh, I'm very curious about that. Okay. Um, how did I start working on AI? Um, so I worked in two, pro two different products at Zalando. One was a mostly backend team. So that was working on offers of data offers, um, data product data, these kind of things. And the second rotation I did was in recommendations, which is very AI driven. Um, and I started first to work on mostly with the front end team of recommendations. So not so much on AI products, like the, the migration, if you can say, I don't know if that's mm -hmm. the right word, but the transfer to AI and machine learning happened a bit later. Um, when they started doing more functional teams, so where you had a front end, back end, and then research engineers uh, and all the functions that you need to actually build an end to end product. And that's when it happened, uh, the transition. It was tough. Um, I think that the first, the first few features that we tried were extremely painful. Uh, on both sides. So uh, if you're interested in moving that into this field, I think for me doing a few, like taking this class, for example, was a major step to help me, you know, have the right conversation with the, the engineers to kind of speak the same language um, and, and, you know, not generating stress on both sides and making sure that you can be successful. So that was a course on AI at um, Udacity. Udacity. Okay. So Pedro, 
Another okay. course for, for your... Uh, Pedro, if you, if you don't mind, let me just sh share. I, I was actually sharing that uh, yesterday we, we had this conversation and um, and we were speaking about goals, objectives, outcomes, mm -hmm. where to go next. Um, and, and, you know, from Mathilde's uh, perspective today, it was clear that her choice of going to Zalanda was a hard choice in the beginning and, and ended up paying off, but she had this very um, difficult personal uh, decision to do, which was to, to move to Germany, um, to move to, to Berlin, you know, basically start her life um, with, and I guess it was not just a decision on her own because you had your boyfriend, you had to, to commit to this together at, at least to, uh, at the point. So, how do you see that for for yourself? Would you see yourself just jumping into an adventure like this? Okay, I think that that's a interesting question because um, I was not thinking leaving Lisbon and uh, until yesterday when we had that lunch mm -hmm. uh, when I had that lunch with you, Andre, and I immediately started thinking, okay, let me just broaden my scope of search for because currently I'm I'm trying to see what's in the market out there to see if I can have a, a new challenge in product. And um, I was scope, scoping only for Lisbon, but then I once I have this lunch, when I get back home, I okay, let me just search what's out there in a more broad way, and I immediately found there places some some very interesting positions in Luxembourg or other places in Europe as well. So I also resonate a bit with with what you said, Matilda. So yeah, I think I think definitely if if you're mobile you also opening uh, much more opportunities for sure which unfortunately i don't think everyone can afford to to have that but uh for sure it's a very global market like i think if i look at the team at Zalando, the product management team at Zalando, i don't know how many nationalities we have but it's all over like uh will i have a hard time naming one nationality that is not represented there you know so um yeah i think definitely helps to look one, one other thing that i hope i hope that more it companies start doing more often is to offer remote uh, positions because at least for the way i see it there is no no constraints in physical location to do our kind of work although empathy requires a bit of uh, physical contact uh, meaning uh, looking people in the eyes i I believe that we should have more remote opening offers. But I don't know what mm. you said about it. You, your product manager as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, I we we talked a little bit about that. I think um, I think it can be done. Like we we had had I think some examples at Zalando because we have a hub in Dublin. So I do think that there's some teams where the product manager is in one location and the team is in another location. Uh, what I find really funny is, as you know, there's this uh, product management Bible inspired and mm -hmm. I was rereading it. Um, I started rereading it like uh, last month or something. And there's an entire chapter about why your team should be sitting next to each other in the mm -hmm. same location and that it's impossible to be uh, uh, like away from each other. So I, I think like, so I think the biggest challenge for me is it's really hard to 
you know, like the ties that happen in a normal society, just like interacting with each other. And, you know, it's kind of based on I give you something and you give me something, but really informally, like not in a very, um, you know, formalized way, I would say. It's really hard to do remotely. And so it's it, building a relationship, I think, is really hard when you're not you're not within that little same space. I do think that probably a lot of, you know, technology or a lot of products will actually help us with that in the future, especially if, if you know, we see this trend of working remotely lasting. But uh, I think for myself, I would be a little bit sad if um, I had to always be away from the team. All right. Very well, Pedro. Um, take your, so, so, do you have any any other question? No, no. I, I was just going to to wrap it up a bit because I also read that book and I have these mixed feelings about. The, I I, I also agree that uh, it's always better when the team is together and gets this bonding and efficiency on the team and purpose. But I I hope that we can transition to uh, to a remote uh, possibility when we don't lose that that empathy factor. Yeah. Right. Okay. Thank you for, for letting me on this call. I was not expecting so. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you very Surprises much for happening. Okay, mm -hmm. so uh, thanks, Pedro. I will thank uh, you. close your video. Um, all right, so this is it. We are just over 45 minutes now. Um, and I think we can we can only thank you for, for being with us today. Um, oh, thank, thank you for the opportunity and, and sure. you know, for reaching out. I really appreciate the time. And uh, thank you for all the people that tune in and listened. Um, we'll really be, we'll be, we are recording this, this conversation and we'll be publishing this on our, um, you know, podcast channel on SoundCloud and you name it. Um, and we'll also be publishing a, a medium post with some takeaways of what um, we talked about and also, the reading lists of books, some of them we mentioned, like Inspired by Marty Kagan, but also other uh, books on artificial intelligence that you sent us. Um, and if people want to keep the conversation with you, with you maybe ask you to, to be a mentor or just to give them some advice, um, are, are you open for that? Is this something that you... you do? I'm, I'm really happy. Let's have a conversation. I think... You can find my leakling, so feel free to drop me a message or, um, you know, by any other means, feel free to reach out. I'm happy right. to you. Just search for Mathieu Caron and, well, sorry if my pronunciation is not perfect, not for your name, but correct me if, if I'm wrong. Um, and uh, on LinkedIn and they, uh, you, you will find Mathieu there. Um, Mathieu, again, thank you so much for this thank you. very enjoying enjoyable conversation. Have a nice day. Have a nice day. Bye. See you next week. Bye-bye.